Thank you for tuning into the Freedom Church Podcast, where you can catch our Sunday sermon on demand at any time. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the content that's shared every week at our local church in Round Rock, Texas. Here's this week's sermon. Good morning, Freedom Church. It's good to be back in the good old United States of America. I want to say thank you guys for praying for me. Uh, I think we spent uh, 12 days, uh, four of those flying, eight of those in country, in Africa. It was an amazing experience. I flew to Johannesburg, and there we went to Mocampain, where we met with, uh, I think, 50 church planters from 10 different countries, from man, all around Africa, one from Europe, and we, we spent all day long on, on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, just investing in church planting. Uh, coaching up church planners. It was an amazing time from there. We went to Durban to be with our missionaries, Randy and Desra Freeman and Adam and Alicia Fogelman at uh, North Place Church in Durban, South Africa. We had an amazing time from there. From there, we went, drove, flew through the night all the way to Addis, Ethiopia. We stayed there for two days. And then we flew to Nairobi, Kenya. And it was an amazing time meeting with church planning teams and leaders and and just coaching and developing and encouraging churches. It was awesome, awesome, awesome. Plus, on top of that, got within feet of giraffes and lions, man, with inches of monkeys. I ate wildebeest. I ate uh, impella. I ate stuff that I didn't know what it was. I remember going, <laughs> went in a couple of restaurants and we ate some chicken, and then I went outside the restaurant, and there was chicken feathers everywhere. Talk about having fresh chicken. It is amazing. And it was just an incredible time all together being in Africa. And I want to thank you for your prayers. And, and what was really cool, for many of them, they wanted to take a picture of me. I was sort of a celebrity because I was the first Latino pastor they ever met right there. So, oh, you're Latino. They were asking me about tacos, you know. Cause, uh... So we had a great, great time while I was in Africa. But it's so, sure glad to be back where I can brush my teeth with the water and all kinds of other stuff. You don't want to know about uh Man, that's why man didn't shave. Jennifer don't like it, man. Uh, when it's no, when it's no shave November, it's no lip November for me. So next week this will be gone. But I'm getting for one more day. I feel like a man when I'm around the lions. They got a mane, I got a beard, and I gotta go shaving again because Jennifer don't like it. But uh, I, I, I heard a joke joke the other day of a lady who died and she found herself standing before the pearly gates of heaven. Saint Peter said, "You can't come in unless you correctly spell a word." She said, what word? He said, any word. So she spelled the word love, L-O-V-E. Peter had to go and run an errand. So Peter said, hey, since you're in heaven now, could you just uh, watch the pearly gates for a while? And she, he instructed her, if anybody comes, just follow the same procedure. Well, a few minutes later, her ex-husband comes towards the gates. She, a- she asked him, what are you doing here? He said, I had a heart attack. I-, I can't believe, did I really make it to heaven? She said, not yet. You got to spell a word correctly. He said, what word? After a long pause, she said, here's the word, Czechoslovakia. <laughs> Sounds like they had a little bit of conflict, right? Conflict is bound to happen in life. The only thing we all have in common is conflict. I know some of you guys won't believe this, but Jennifer and I sometimes get in arguments. I know it's hard to believe. But when we do fight, she gets on her hands and knees and she starts begging me. Seriously, every time she's on her hands and knees, she begs me. She just she begs me to come from out under the bed and fight like a man. <laughs> but, but families are always fighting. There's constant 
bickering. If you are a parent, you know you've heard this statement, whether they're teenagers or toddlers. Mom, she's touching me. She's licking me. She's on my side. They took my toy. They took my phone. They're wearing my clothes. It sounds like World War III in our house, right? As a pastor, over 20 years, I look back at over all the people and couples that I've counseled. And the number one thing I spent much of my time doing is helping people resolve conflict. Conflict at home. Conflict at work. Conflict with a spouse. Conflict with kids. Conflict with other family members. Because the world is broken. There's conflict everywhere. It's part of having a sinful nature and living in a broken world. And here's the thing about conflict. That conflict begins to spill out into the people that we love the most and the people we care about the most. And the title of my message this morning is Family Feud. Because the reality is there is conflict in our families. I remember growing up that I had uncles and aunts that we never talked to. I remember we'd go to the mall or we'd go to Walmart. We'd be going out there. Oh, there's your uncle. Let's walk the other way. Man, like how many guys have family members that you knew that they were your family members, but there was something that happened way down the way down the line that you didn't know what happened, but you just knew that you weren't friends. There were family. And then, and then I remember growing up, and there was actually family members that we went to Thanksgiving and Christmas on vacation together. They'd come over all the time. And I just remember as a kid, all of a sudden, they stopped coming over. All of a sudden, we didn't even bring up their names. And all of a sudden, because of conflict, this close relationship that we had was all of a sudden torn apart into pieces. Uncles, aunts, cousins, friends. And and I would bet everything I have this morning that almost every family and every person here somewhere down the line has had an issue, a feud that has not been resolved. And because of that, it's torn apart a family. It's torn apart a relationship. It's torn apart the very thing that God wanted to bless us with, relationships. It might be this. You haven't talked to your brother in 15 years. Or your sister and your parents don't talk. She doesn't come for Christmas anymore. And there's no relationship. Maybe you haven't talked to one of your own children. Or they haven't talked to you. Maybe you haven't talked to a sister or a brother. One of the most important skills that you're going to have to learn in life is to resolve conflict. It's essential to your happiness. It's essential to your spiritual growth. Unresolved conflict will keep you back from everything that God has planned for you. And if you don't resolve conflict, you'll walk around most of your life living miserable because that's what conflict does. And here's the challenge in life. Nobody teaches us to resolve conflict. Our parents didn't teach us to resolve conflict because they didn't know how to resolve conflict. You went to grade school, you went to elementary, you went to high school, you didn't take a class on how to resolve conflict. You went to college, and there was not a class that was dedicated in teaching you one of the most important life skills, how to resolve conflict. So this morning is a very important morning that you're here. I'm going to teach you how to resolve conflict biblically. This message will save you thousands of dollars in counseling and many, many nights that you don't have to go sleepless. So you can write your checks to Freedom Church for all the money that you save because of this. So, and if you're not in conflict right now, saying this doesn't apply to me, let me tell you, I promise you, one day you'll be in conflict. You're going to need this. So take some notes. So before we start, this is what I want you to do. I want you to picture the cross. The cross is both vertical and horizontal at the same time. 
Because when Jesus came to restore the world, Jesus had the ministry of reconciliation. The cross was symbolic. It's symbolic because it was vertical for a reason. Because Jesus came to restore our vertical relationship with God. The sin that was there, it was, it was taken away. But not only did Jesus come to restore our vertical relationship with God, this is what Jesus came to do. He came to restore our horizontal relationship with our brothers and our sisters and with those around us. Resolving conflict is so important because when sin came to the earth, if you see in the book of Genesis, it not only destroyed God's relationship with Adam and Eve, but all of a sudden Cain and Abel started to kill each other, bicker each other, and the whole family structure fell apart. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul tells us this, that the cross is not just to make us right with God, it is here to make us right with people. And here's the big idea for this morning. To get right with God, you have to be right with others. It's a biblical principle, and Paul wrote it like this in Romans 12, 18. As much as possible, as far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. But why does God want us to live in peace with everyone? Because unresolved conflict has devastating results on your life. And I want to, kick, I want to just give you quickly three spiritual results. I can spend all morning on this, but quickly I want to give you three. First thing that an unresolved conflict does, it blocks your fellowship and your relationship with God. Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 23. If, you're off, if you are offering your gift at the altar, if you're singing on Sunday morning, if you're here in church, and then you remember that your brother has something against you, notice, it doesn't say that you have something against them. You aren't even at fault. Jesus says if you're aware that your brother is mad at you, you'll go to them and make it right. Look at verse 24. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. So Jesus is saying... If you're coming to church and you're in a fight with your husband and your wife, it's better that you get that relationship right before you come to church because how many of you guys know, I've been there, you have a big old fight with your significant other. Maybe this morning you walk into church and you can't even hear the message. You're like, oh, the day's ruined. And what Jesus is saying, it's more important to get it right with a friend, with a family member, than even to worship because if we do not get that right, it will hinder our relationship with God. The second thing, this is challenging that Jesus, that Jesus is saying it hinders our prayers. See, to get right with God means you've got to get right with others. And the reason we want to get right with others is because I don't want you or anyone else to keep me from having a relationship with God. And over and over again in Scripture, the Bible says that when I have a conflict, when there's disharmony in my life and in my relationship, my prayers are effective. This is what Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner, as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Over and over, it says if we do not have it right with people, we cannot have right relationship with God. And for many of us, because of unresolved conflict, it feels like our prayers are hitting the ceiling. It feels like God isn't answering. And there's a spiritual principle right there. If your relationships aren't right with others, you cannot have a full relationship with God. And number three, it hinders your happiness. You cannot be happy and in conflict at the same time. You can be wealthy. You can be attractive. You can be successful. But if your relationships are a mess, you are going to be a mess. Just look at the celebrities in our culture. If you're carrying conflict, you don't know how to deal with it. You don't know how to deal with that relative, that in-law, that friend. It just sucks their life right out of you. And this morning, I want us to look at a classic family feud. The title of my message this morning is Family Feud. And it's a story about how conflict has torn apart a family. 
The story is found in the book of Genesis. It's about Isaac's son. Isaac was Abraham's son and one of the patriarchs. And he had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And they were locked in a bitter feud against one another. See, they were twin brothers. And before the story, they haven't seen each other or talked to each other in over 20 years. Their relationship is broken. And their feud started with deception. Jacob stole Esau's birthright by fooling their father. Esau was angry and wanted to kill his brother. Rebekah finds out about this. He tells Jacob about it, tells him to leave, and Jacob runs far away. He leaves the family for good. This family needs Dr. Phil. They're a prime candidate for the Jerry Springer show. It is going crazy. And the last time they see each other, 20 years ago, Esau was going to kill Jacob. And this is not kill like when you and your brother or your sister fight and you get mad at each other. This is like, I'm going to kill you. So you're not going to be breathing anymore. You are going to die. I'm going to be on dateline if this goes bad. They had a legitimate reason to feud. Esau had a reason to be mad. He was taking advantage. They took his birthright. Jacob had a reason to run. And their story is in Genesis chapter 32. It's a story of a reunion and reconciliation. And through their story, we will learn seven biblical steps of resolving conflict. Let's go to Genesis 32, verse 3. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brothers Esau in the land of Seir, in the country of Edom. He instructed them, this is what you are to say to my master Esau. Your servant, Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys sheep and goats, men servants and maidservants. Now I'm sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor in your eyes. See, right before this moment, Jacob had had an incredible life-changing encounter with the mighty God at Bethel. And that encounter, God began to wrestle with Jacob and it was an encounter that would change his life forever. But to get where God wants him to be, God instructs him to go back to Israel. and He's got to deal with his past. Sometimes to get to your future, you've got to deal with what's been in your past. And he had to deal with the drama. He had to deal with the skeletons in the closet. And you can't go around a conflict. You've got to go through it. And he had to face the conflict that was in front of him to walk into the purpose that God has for him. And for some of you, God has amazing things in front of you. He has amazing plans for you, but it's the conflict that you have with others that is stopping you from getting there. And Jacob says, I'm going to bless you, Jacob. Not only am I going to bless you, Jacob, I'm going to change your name to Israel, but you got to go back to where you started because i got some unfinished business for you. i got to make things right. And here we learn the first step in conflict revolution, resolution from Jacob. It's to take the initiative. Someone has to make the first move. To resolve conflict, you don't wait for them to come to you. You go to them. You don't ignore the conflict. You don't push the conflict under the carpet. You don't pretend it didn't exist. You don't pretend when there's a pink elephant in the room that it's not there. You address the pink elephant in the room. Let me tell you something about conflict. Conflict is not resolved accidentally. You've heard the saying that time heals everything. That's a bunch of lies. Time heals nothing. If time heals everything, you just go to the doctor, you'd sit in the waiting room, and you'd feel better just because you were waiting. But it doesn't take place. That doesn't happen. Actually, here's the reality. Time makes things worse. If you have an open wound and you don't deal with it, it'll get infected. It can turn into gangrene. You can take your, it'll take your arm, it can take your life. One of the missionaries that we were with, we were in the bush and just seeing all the animals and checking out, and he said, hey, hey be careful, don't get close to the bush. He said, especially uh, if, 
sometimes if there's an emergency in the bush and you get in the bush, the ticks can get on you when you, there's an emergency, you got to pee or something like that. He says, just don't pee because he went out there one time, he was in the bush and there was an emergency and a tick came on him and he got what was called tick bite fever. It wasn't a big deal. But that tick, he thought it was a mosquito bite, one week, two weeks, three weeks, and all of a sudden it puts all this junk inside of you. And uh, if you get it within the first three weeks, then it doesn't cause a lot of damage. But if you don't get it within three weeks, you just ignore it. The, all the infection and everything that just comes in, it just re reproduces itself every day for 30 days. And he was sick for literally a year and a half. He got down to 124 pounds. He was deathly ill. Then he was, they prayed for him and God healed him. But it all happened because he got a little tick bite in the bush that if he would have dealt with right away, it could have been taken care of with antibiotics because he waited three weeks. It got into his system and it messed everything up. That's the same thing with bitterness and anger. Man, we deal with the conflict right away. It's not that big of a deal. But if it gets into our system, if it gets deep inside of us, all of a sudden it produces death in us. That's why we got to take initiative. See, time heals nothing. Problems get worse when you ignore them. When you don't deal with anger, what does it do? It turns into resentment. And resentment turns to bitterness. So take the initiative. The conflict is not going to be resolved by itself. you got to intentionally deal with it. Some of you have been putting this off for weeks, for months, maybe for years. It's time to pick up the phone. It's time to make the phone call. It's time to set up the meeting and have a courageous conversation or you're going to become a very bitter person. You realize it, just like I do, that as people get older, they're either really happy or they're really mad and angry. Like there's really like, man, they're like, ah, they're just people like there's angry, angry old people or there's really happy old people. And you know why there's really angry old Because they just got this bitterness and anger and all this. Don't be an angry old person. Be a happy old person. But the only way that you're going to be a happy old person is when you resolve the conflict. Because if you don't allow the conflict to grow and fester and move inside of you, it'll destroy your life. So let me suggest four things and how to set up a meeting with somebody that you're in conflict with. First thing is choose the right time. Timing is everything. When is the best time to have a meeting to resolve a conflict? The best time is when you're both at your best. You may be ready, but they might not be ready to receive it. Don't just drop a bomb on somebody. Just because you've been thinking about it, just because you're ready to talk about it, doesn't mean they're ready to talk about it. By the way, if you're married, don't drop a bomb in bed when you're both tired. If you do, there's going to get an explosion. It's not going to go good. I'm not talking from experience. Maybe I'm talking from experience. But when you're tired at the end of the day and you're bringing up a bomb, it just doesn't go good. It's flammable. Have the right time to have resolve the conflict. Next, choose the right time. Second, choose the right place. You just don't do it anywhere. Figure out where both, where both of you can be relaxed, where it's quiet, where you won't be bothered. If you're married, when the kids are asleep, when nobody is watching. How many of you guys have been involved in a relationship or maybe you've talked to somebody or maybe somebody's like resolving the conflict over dinner and it's like awkward like oh lord stop that don't be that person find the right place right time right place and the most important thing is this pray before the meeting i would not just say pray before the meeting i would add pray and fast before the meeting that's what jacob did in verse 11 look what he says he says save me i pray for the hand of my brother from the hand of my brother Esau, for I'm afraid he
evil come and attack me. He's like, God, I'm afraid. I know you want me to do this. I know you want me to go back. I can't do this. It's scary when I, we got to resolve conflict. That's why we need to pray, God, I need your love. I need your help. I need to stay self-controlled. Help me to do what's right. Man, we need to pray. We cannot resolve conflict on our own. We need the fruit of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit to give us self-control as we resolve conflict. And the fourth thing we need to do is, this is a very important need to come with a positive attitude. Look what Jacob did as he came to conflict with, as he came to resolve conflict with his brother Esau. For he thought, I will pacify him with these gifts. I am sending on ahead. Later, when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. And look at verse 21. So Jacob's gifts went ahead of them. Jacob, notice, he set the tone for the meeting by sending gifts to his brother Esau. You can't have a negative attitude and expect to live a life of peace. When you go to resolve conflict, the posture, the attitude, the facial expression, your voice fluctuation are going to be so important. They set the tone for the conversation. When you're going to resolve conflict, don't have your hands crossed. Don't talk. Man, you set the tone. Be happy. Man, set the environment. This is so important. People resolve conflict. Both the people are mad and angry. They look at each other. It's just going to explode. You can't come and demean. You can't demand. You're not coming to disagree. You're coming with a positive attitude. I say, Benito, this, you're getting into my business. Why do I need to resolve conflict? Because Jesus commands it. Because if you don't resolve conflict, you're going to be out of, out of fellowship with God. Your prayers are going to be hindered. They're not going to be heard. You're not going to be happy. You're not going to have joy. This is so important. This is one of the most important things that you do is that you resolve the conflict in your life. So before we go into the other six steps of conflict resolution, I want you to pause for a moment. I want us to pray. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. As you bow your heads, I want you to think of who you need to have this conversation with. You haven't talked about it. You haven't brought it up. Maybe you both know about it. Maybe only one of you knows about it. Maybe it's just you that's holding the grudge. I don't know what it is. But think of who is it in your mind right now. Holy Spirit, show them who the face, the name, the person that's stopping them. Who do they need to resolve conflict? And say, God, I'm scared. But I'm asking you to give me courage to resolve this conflict. God, I don't need it in my life anymore. Lord, I want a breakthrough. Lord, I am tired of it holding me back. Right now, Holy Spirit, speak to your people. Lord, show them where they need to resolve conflict. They say, God, speak to me through this message, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So now that we've gone through step one, which is the most challenging, let's go to step two. Once you get together in a meeting with that person that you've been in conflict with, here's the first thing that you do. Number two is you confess your part of the conflict. This is exactly what Jacob did when he sees Esau in Genesis 33.3. Look at this. He went, he himself went on ahead and he bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. What an example to us. This brother that stole the birthright now bows in front of his brother. Jacob doesn't go, out of the, go over the story. He doesn't try to rationalize. He doesn't explain his actions. He doesn't make excuses. He doesn't do any of those things. What does he do? He just humbly bows down before his brother and he says, I'm sorry, I'm owning my part of the conflict. I'm not here to make excuses. I'm not here to rationalize. I'm not here to give you a sad story. I'm just here to say that I am sorry. Say it with me. The hardest words, I'm sorry. They may be 99.9% .9 in the wrong, and you're only 0.1% of the wrong. Then confess your 
It's called humility. Let me tell you, if you're in a conflict, you have a little part of it, even if it's 0.1%. And as you go into that conflict, always, always confess you're part of the conflict, whatever it might be. They might be 99.9% of the wrong. They might have done it, but you have that 0.1%. Bring your 0.1% up first. Instead of accusing, attacking, blaming, you begin with humility. You deal with your part. So what do you do when you're about to approach someone that you're in conflict with? You need to ask yourself these questions. Am I being unrealistic? Do I have unrealistic expectations for this person? Am I being ungrateful in this relationship? Am I being insensitive? Am I being oversensitive? Am I being demanding? Am I being a jerk? Just ask yourself all these questions. Put yourself in that situation. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. And last, let me give you one of the most powerful statements that will begin the healing process in even the most broken relationship. Here it is. I'm sorry. I was only thinking about myself. Say, say it with me. I'm sorry. I was only thinking about myself. If you say that, if you learn to say that, it can break down any wall. And it starts the, war, the, the process of healing. The third thing you need to do in resolving conflict is this. You, number three, you listen for the hurt. Something that I've always told you, I didn't originally get it, I don't know where I've heard it years ago, but it says, hurt people, hurt people. When I get hurt, when you get hurt, we hurt the people in our lives. And if someone's hurting you, I guarantee you, it's because someone has hurt them. It may be you hurt them, it may be somebody else that hurt them, but someone has hurt them, and that's why they're hurting you. So you have to listen for their hurt in the midst of the conflict. That's why James says in James 1.19, be Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. To listen for the hurt, you have to do what this verse says. You have to listen. God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. You need to listen twice as much as you speak. And the key to understanding where people are coming from is understanding their circumstances, understanding their perspective, understanding their temperament. Understand, you got to listen. So many times we just get caught up in our own lives, but we've got to listen to their hurt. And that helps us in resolving the conflict. Number four, you consider their perspective. Consider what they're looking at. Consider their, view, their viewpoint. There's a Chinese proverb that says this. We need to seek first to understand before we seek to be understood. To successfully resolve conflict, you have to intentionally shift your focus from your needs your point, you winning the argument, your offense, and you try to get their perspective on the issue. This is the example of Jesus. This is what he did when he lived out the gospel. Paul wrote this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. Each of you should not look, at, should look not only for your own interest, but also for the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Look what Jesus did. Before Jesus, when Jesus came to resolve the conflict between you and I and the conflict that man had with God, he came in and he got our viewpoint. He became a man. Hebrews says he went through everything, every temptation, every struggle, every situation. Jesus got our perspective on the conflict. He felt sin. He went through circumstances and situations. He put himself in our shoes. The only way that you can resolve conflict is to get over your selfishness and get over your viewpoint and put your in somebody else's shoes and what they're going through and what they're dealing with and say, you know what? I know what it's like to be them. That's the example of Jesus Christ himself. 
We got to do that. See, we're more like we're most like Christ when we pay attention to other people's needs. Look, look what the text says. Each one should look not only out for your interests. The word look in the Greek means scope. But how do you do that? How do you start noticing the needs of others instead of always needing other people to meet your needs? You center your life on Jesus. You focus on the gospel. You put your focus on Jesus and what he did for you. And you say, Jesus, you're the most important part of my life. See, if you're expecting some other human being, whether it be a wife, a husband, a kid, somebody at work, a friend, a pastor, another human being, if you're expecting somebody to take all of your needs, of course you're going to have conflict. You know why? Because they're as imperfect as you are. They can't do it. There's a principle that I have taught you through the years in James chapter 4. Pastor Noel talked about it last week. But the reason we get mad, the reason we have conflict is because we don't get what we want. Think about why you're mad right now. Think about why you're mad at that person. Think, why, think about whatever you're mad at right now. You know why you're mad? You're not getting what you want. You want your husband to look a certain way, to act a certain way, to eat certain foods, and he doesn't want to. You want your kids to clean up their room and do this thing. You want your wife to act a certain way and go certain places and stick, stay, stay according to a budget, and they aren't, so you're mad, and you're not getting what you want. The root of every conflict right now is you're not getting what you want. If you realize that, then the conflict begins to die down. When you realize that there's a God in heaven who is willing and able to meet the deepest needs of your life, you no longer put pressure on people. The reason we have so much conflict is we, we put pressure on people to meet needs in our lives that only God can meet. Let me tell you something about marriage. Marriage does not exist to make you happy. It exists to make you holy. That's why it's called holy matrimony. What does it mean, holy? To make you like Jesus. Let me see. There's a reason that your wife ticks you off more than anybody else, or your husband gets you so mad. There's a reason. they. How many of you guys that are married, you can say a good amen. You have never been as mad at somebody like you have been at your spouse. And God intended it that way. What do you mean, uh, amening, Nevea? <laughs> you better not be thinking about that. <laughs> oh, Lord, I've lost my no place in my notes right there. <laughs> Don't amen until about 10 years, at least, on that one. Hey, anyways. You know why they get you so mad? And I've learned this. Jennifer had to learn this. I can't meet all her needs. And she can't meet all my needs. You know, this is what the purpose of marriage is. Can I just be honest with you? The purpose of marriage is that we would understand the gospel. That we would understand the love of God when, when, the, when God, when we were selfish and rebellious, when we didn't want to serve, we, we didn't want to do our part, God did all his part. Marriage is, you know what, I'm in a covenant and I'm in here whether you come this way or not. I'm gonna marriage will teach you selflessness. Marriage will teach you sacrifice. Marriage will push you. Marriage is all about teaching you the radical love of Jesus Christ. And if you are unhappy in your marriage, let me give you a big word right now. Get over it. Let me say it again. Get over it. 
You have a consumeristic Western mindset of marriage. Marriage is about you understanding that a person can never meet the needs that God can meet. And when you understand that, that sets you free. And then you're there to serve them. And you don't put obligations. And you don't put stress on them. And you don't put pressure on them that they cannot hold. Only God can meet the needs of your soul. And God will. And if you're going to have a long, successful marriage, if you're going to make it, you must make this shift from looking for your spouse to meet your deepest needs to trusting that Christ will meet your deepest needs. To, instead of looking for them to serve you, you live a life to serve them and sacrifice your preferences. Number five. The fifth step of resolving conflict. It's very important. It's this. Tell the truth tactfully. In Ephesians 5, Paul Right, speak the truth in love. It may be true, but don't use the truth to beat up people. I hear people say this all the time. I just tell like it is. I'm just real. I hold, hold back. I keep telling it like it is because nobody's going to listen to you. I'm just truthful. No, you're not. You're dumb. <laughs> the Bible says to tell the truth tactfully. If you don't tell it tactfully, it's not going to be received. People must trust you before they, you can tell them the truth. When I was a youth pastor, I always had this saying for my youth leaders, that rebuke without relationship will always lead to rebellion. But there's something that when you have a relationship with kids, like when, when I was a youth pastor, we, we bring some difficult kids from hard backgrounds that would come into church, and some other youth leaders would try to talk to them, but they didn't have a relationship. But then a youth leader that had a relationship would talk to them, and they would listen because that youth leader knew that they picked them up, they cared for them, they prayed for them, they served them. And does, when you speak to people, do they know that you love them before than what you tell them? They need to know that you care for them. They need to know that you're there for them. So when I'm in a conversation with a person, I'm having this conflict, this is what I'm going to say. Is what I'm about to say, is it helpful to them? Or is it hurtful to them? Is it going to build them up? Or is it going to tear them down? We must learn this skill. The skill of attacking the problem and not the person. And most people never learn the difference. They start attacking the person, not the problem. That's what's causing a big conflict in our culture right now. A good example of this is politics, political tasks. They always attack the person and not the policy. If we want to resolve conflict, we must learn to attack the issue without attacking each other. And right now we have a culture that's all about attacking each other and not attacking the issue. And this, and this feeds into the sixth step. Here it is. Fix the problem, not the blame. That's exactly what Jacob does with Esau in their story. Look at Genesis 32, verse 17. He instructed the one in the lead, when my brother Esau meets you and asks, to whom do you belong and where are you going and who owns all these animals in front of you? Then you are to say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent to my Lord Esau, and he is coming behind us. Jacob is doing whatever it takes to make it right and to fix the problem. He's not saying, Esau, you need to apologize for what you're trying to kill me. Esau, you made me miss out on life. Esau, I wasn't there when mom and dad died. Esau, you killed me. Esau, I can't believe you stole the best years of my life. No, instead he's saying, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make up for what I stole for you. Jacob's attitude was this. I'm not here to blame. I'm just here to make it right. So many times when we get involved in conflict, we play the blame game. 
You only have a certain amount of emotional energy. You can either use that energy to fix the blame or you can use that energy to fix the problem. You do not have energy to fix the both. So you've got to ask yourself, what's more important for me? Is it more important that I blame them? Or is it more important that I resolve this issue? Look what Paul writes in Romans 14, 13. Let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. The reason why we fix the problem and not the blame is because blaming is a form of judging. And only God has the right to judge. You're not the judge. You don't know the motivation of what they did or what they said. We don't know the motive. Shoot. You don't know the motivation for what you do most of the time. So, so how in the world can you think you can know somebody else's motivation? So why don't we just kind of just say, look at their motivation? And we always try to say, oh, they, they, had a, they, they wanted to hurt me. They were mean. They were mean spirit. Only God knows the motivation. So don't blame them. Here's what we got to do. Instead of focusing the motivation, we got to focus on the action. We get in problems when we start fixing the motivation because we don't know what they're thinking. We've got to fill the gap with trust every time. Focus on the action. Come to the action. Come to the action, not the motivation. And number seven, the last thing of resolving conflict is this. Focus on reconciliation, not resolution. There's a big difference here. Reconciliation means reestablishing the relationship. Resolution means resolving every issue. Resolution isn't going to happen because there are some things that you and I are never going to agree on. There is nobody on this planet who agrees with you about everything. We're all different. So when you go in there, don't focus on resolving every issue. It will never happen as long as you live. Focus on restoring the relationship. So I want to challenge you this morning, Freedom Church. In a world that is full of conflict and our families that are full of conflict because of a broken world, Will you be a bridge builder or will you build a wall? Will you be a wall builder? Which one are you this morning? Are you a bridge builder or are you a wall builder? Because when you're right with God, you will be right with people. When people find restoration in human relationship, it always results in spiritual growth and inner peace. And for some of you, your spiritual growth has been stalled for this very reason. You keep hitting this wall. You keep hitting this barrier. You wonder why God's not hearing you. You wonder what's happening. You wonder, God, why am I here? Why am I stuck? Why can't I break through? Because there's unresolved conflict. And look at the story of Jacob. God wanted to bring Jacob to a place where he would change his name from Jacob to Israel. From Israel, he would establish the 12 tribes, and through the 12 tribes would become Judah, and there would become the lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus, the Messiah. God was getting ready to do some world-changing things in Jacob. He was getting ready to establish the nation of Israel. But before he got there, before he got to that place, he had to go through Esau. He had to resolve the conflict. And for some of you, God has amazing, incredible, big things in your life. But there's conflict, there's struggle, there are things in your past that are stopping you from the future. And let me tell you, unless you deal with it, you will never get there. Who is it that you need to resolve that conflict with? Who do you need to make it right with? And everybody but bow your head. 
Thanks again for listening to the Freedom Church Podcast. We hope that you were inspired and motivated to continue to grow in your faith. Don't forget to subscribe and share with others.